Amen. Oh, yeah. This morning's prayer time and a time of worship is exactly what this church needs. Could you tell that you needed it? Do y'all feel like some of your priorities in life are being realigned as we encounter the Lord in these moments over and over and over again? As he's pulling back the curtain of the things that you've been missing the whole time? When you thought this was the thing. No, this is what life's about. This is what's important. This is what I have to focus on. And then he's like, what about this? You're like, oh, there are souls in my town that I'm responsible for? You mean there are other nations that we're supposed to go to? There are other cities that are supposed to have works just like this one? And yes, Avery family, you are as responsible for that as my family. And the Engelbrett family is as responsible as the Hutchinson family. We are going to do this thing together. And that's why we need the times like what we've been having lately, where the Lord is burdening our hearts in a way not so as to smush you into the ground and make you feel like nothing, but rather he picks you up and puts you on your feet and he says, look at me, son. You're going to do this thing. I don't know how you hear him sometimes. That's, that's how I hear him most of the time. He sounds aggressive to me. Am I not like mean? Not, not mad, not mean, but just like, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. So on that note, we come to you today testifying to what we have seen and what we have heard. This is going to be a rowdy message. Mr. Darren is a rowdy man. <laughs> He has been, he's been getting me fired up the last few days. And, uh, well, today our goal is to move you. We are convinced, say convinced, convinced, that God has poured out his Holy Spirit. You're not one of those people that say that God didn't pour out his Holy Spirit, are you? No. Are you guys, y'all aren't those people that say that he stopped pouring out his Holy Spirit at some point, are you? No. Listen, we are not those who limit the Lord inside of doctrinal standards. We are those who read our scriptures, study our word. We, we grow in knowledge and in wisdom together, and we give him full freedom to do whatever he wants to do Amen. at the same time. We, we are convinced that God has poured out his Holy Spirit and has not ceased since that great day at Pentecost. We mere men who have seen and heard his glory testify to you today that he desires to show his might, his power, his radiance, and his love through each one of you, especially you, Nick. Have our brothers not been testifying to this the past weeks? Have they not? That's absolutely right. Last week, our brothers, Avery and Landon, testified about supernaturally marked. Yeah. We are all 
supernaturally marked when we put our faith and trust in the Messiah and King. Yes, that's We right. learned last week how God supernaturally marked his chosen people, Israel. They read the prophecy and the covenant of this to Abraham in yeah. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. Yeah. That promise included three parts. A promise of a land. Yes. We're seeing that land promise being fulfilled in our sight right now. That land is supernaturally marked by God. That promise included a great nation. We are seeing that nation reborn in our sight today. The sons of Israel, Jacob. And we are seeing the fulfillment of the third promise, a blessing to all nations through the promised seed that came through the people of Israel which is our Messiah Yeshua. That's right. You realize how powerful a nation this is? <laughs> Think about this. This nation, fulfilling, in fulfillment of prophecy, was reborn in a day. For centuries, even Bible scholars couldn't conceive of this supernatural event to the point that they had to change their theology, their eschatology, <laughs> to match what they could not see with their eyes. And now we get to see the prophecy fulfilled. Amen. That's right. This nation, which is less than 10 million people, that's 0.1% of the world's population. And look at it in the news every day. They've experienced unprecedented economic growth. They're known worldwide as a center for innovation and technology. They've made significant scientific achievements. Do you know that Israel actually launched a spacecraft to the moon in 2019 called Bereshit? Who knows what Bereshit means? In the beginning. In the beginning, absolutely. <laughs> and even more miraculous, they turned a desert into one of the most luscious agricultural societies in our world today through agricultural innovations. Now, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, also tells us about blessings and curses. I think this was what Pastor Landon was so passionate about last week. Yeah. He tells us that he will bless those that bless my people, but he also tells us that he will curse those that curse his people. In fact, the, the ESV states it this way. He says, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Think about that, all the people that we see in the world today, dishonoring wow. Israel. It burdens my heart for them. Yeah. But in short, God blessed not only Abraham, but he blessed the land, yeah. he blessed the nation, he blessed the seed 
of the Messiah through whom we are grafted into Israel Come on. as a blessing to all nations yeah. so that we would be glorified for his glory. Come on. <laughs> so that's the title of our message today. Be glorified for his glory. So wouldn't you like to participate in some of that glory? Yes. I didn't hear that. Wouldn't you like to participate <laughs> in some of that glory? Yes. <laughs> All right. So God's provisions, the promises to Abraham, also apply to all of us grafted in. Romans 11 explains this. We're not going to go into that today. But we were grafted in to the olive tree, which is Israel. Yeah, that's right. And through that, we are joined with Israel and with all of the promises. Paul wrote to the Galatians this way in Galatians 3, 7 to 9. says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before to Abraham, <laughs> saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. Wow. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul also tells us in Romans 30, eight, chap, chapter 8, 30, we're not going to read that, but he tells us that the ultimate goal is to be glorified. Now, are we glorified to puff up, up, puff us up, puff us up? <laughs> I, thought you, I, thought you were, I thought you were speaking a different language. I was like, <laughs> Darren just got stuck speaking in tongues on the phone. <laughs> Gustafa. We call that joy, right? <laughs> Amen, brother. Um, okay. No, he, he's not calling us to be glorified for our benefit. Yeah. He's calling us to be glorified so that we can glorify him. Yeah. He is glorified through his children. Yes, that's right. Now, last week, we also learned that the bride is Israel. Yeah. Throughout the Tanakh, there's a metaphor of Israel being the wife or the bride of God. Yeah, that's right. Now, in Revelation, we see Yeshua will come for his bride. Yeah. So, Paul actually describes an analogy of a marriage between a man and a woman as the mystery of Christ and the church. So which is it? Is Israel the bride or is the church the bride? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all are pretty quick today. All of the above. Did the church replace Israel in her promises? No. By no means. The promises are fulfilled. Right? Those grafted in 
are a part of the bride. And as we prepare to be the bride, we are called to be set apart, sanctified, holy, without spot or blemish. In 1 Peter 1.19, Peter tells us about a lamb without spot or blemish that took away our sins. In that passage, Peter tells us, I just discovered this this morning, one of these late revelations, that we are ransomed from the feudal ways of our forefathers. And given what we're seeing take place in the world today with the hostages, it really burdened my heart. We are ransomed from the feudal ways of our forefathers, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Messiah. That's right. The lamb without spot or blemish. That's good. In Peter's second letter, he writes that we should be people with lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening for the coming day of God, the return of of our groom, the Messiah Yeshua. He also writes, and when he comes, we should be found by him without spot or blemish, and get this, and at peace. Now Paul, in Ephesians 5, the same chapter relating the marriage to our relationship with the Lord, also calls us to be ready without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing that the bride might be holy without blemish. Both Peter and Paul are calling us as the bride grafted into Israel to be glorified for his glory. Amen? Yes. Now, before we can be glorified, we must first be sanctified. (laughs) Come on. We have to be set apart from the world. We're going to start with a few definitions for you guys today because what we want to be able to do as we move forward with zeal and excitement and everything through the rest of our message today, we want you to have a couple words redefined for you. Maybe you've picked up some personal definitions in church or in other ministries or in something along the way. We did the studying for you. We're going to share with you what these words mean in their ancient meanings, and then you'll be able to plug that in, and we can just be excitedly fly through the rest of this message. Is that all right? Come on. Mr. Darren, Amen. give us these new definitions. All right. Were we able to get those up there? Okay. That'll work. So the first definition, I mentioned sanctified. It's a big fancy word. What does that mean exactly? Sanctified comes from a Hebrew word, kadash. Kadash in Hebrew. Now that might sound familiar. We're going to talk about why. But it means to consecrate, to prepare, to dedicate, to be hallowed, to be holy. That's where the connection to kadash, it's, a root, it's tied to the root word kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. So kadash, sanctified, 
We are, when we are sanctifying ourselves, we are setting ourselves apart, holy, preparing ourselves. It also means to, to make or pronounce clean, as in ceremonially clean or morally clean. So we are in the process of cleansing ourselves morally and ceremonially, removing every spot and blemish while we're awaiting our groom. Yes. Do you have holy? Yeah, so holy is just kadosh, related to kadash, okay? And then next we have glorified or glory. So glory, you've heard kavod is glory. Glorified is the verb form karat, uh, kavad. Now I'm pronouncing that with a V as in Victor. You'll see a lot of times that's with a B. That's because that Hebrew word is bet or vet. And depending on the marking, it's either a B as in boy or a V as in Victor. In right. this case, it's kavod. Yeah. So this simply means, this is interesting. We're looking at kavod or glory, glorified. It means honor, glory, great quantity, a multitude, yeah. wealth. It's not talking about just material wealth. A wealth of knowledge, of blessings, of prosperity. Yeah. Right? And a positive reputation, majesty, splendor. So we're going to be talking throughout about these verses. We wanted you to really understand yeah. the definition distinction. Whenever we see the word holy come up, even in the Greek, whether it's in your Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of your Old Testament, or whether it's in your New Testament writings, some of the language that we see meshed together between different cultures, different societies, different languages, it comes out to describe something like reverend or worthy of veneration. That's a lifting up, right? So worthy, to, to, call something, to, to call something holy means that it is worthy of veneration, not particularly that it is venerated by you or not necessarily set apart by you, but rather that it is worthy of it. So we're learning here how we don't just theologically determine that God is holy, but that we make him holy in our own hearts, in our own minds. We make him holy. We make him set apart. We make him lifted high and above ourselves. We have to revere our God. Two weeks ago, we discussed a corporate outpouring that comes from one correct personal preparation and then an inward expectation. We were even praying through that this morning, that an inward expectation is not just an emotion that we need somebody to stir up for us. You do need help to be stirred up sometimes. Sometimes you're distracted. Sometimes we focus on the wrong things. Sometimes we're looking all the way downfield whenever the Lord just wants us to look right here at him. This is, what our, this is what Pastor Devin and our brothers spoke to us of. Next, we want to discuss with you why, des, why we should desire a corporate outpouring from those who are supernaturally marked for his glory. It is not about, the, in, the final result is not that we 
or glorified and shining or living in the wealth of God. This is the definition, and we do receive that, but it's not the ending final goal. And this is what we're going to show you today. So, again, the title of our message today is to be glorified for his glory. Come on, you guys... We have received so much poor teaching in our life before that nobody gets the glory but God. Yes, you don't, you don't give glory to somebody else for what God deserves glory for. You do not get to put yourself next to God. You lift him up and you venerate him. You revere him. You lift him high and above. But then what does he do for you? Interesting. He wants you to be glorified on the earth. He wants you to be glorified on the earth. Yes, men have abused this. Yes, men and women have thrown their pearls before swine. Yes, people have sold it for a profit. But it doesn't mean he doesn't want it for you. And it doesn't make it wrong. It just means that we have to steward these things. For his glory. Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3 say, Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness over the people. But the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory and his glory will be seen up on you. <laughs> This isn't just a Pentecost thing. We saw the greatest breakthrough of a manifestation of a pouring out and an abiding of his Holy Spirit there at that point in time. But God has desired for his glory to be seen upon his people since ever. Verse 3, and nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Think about Moses' face shining when he's coming off of the mountain. Or think about how in Isaiah 6, they say, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. What if your new missions plan had to be, we have to make a way to raise up enough leaders here to handle the people that are flying here from the other side of the planet. People are jumping on ships to get to this place where his glory is so manifested that they're coming to us faster than we can get to them. I mean, what are you waiting for? Why don't you want that? Our message to you today is to desire such a thing that the glory of God would be shining upon you. What part of that don't you want? What part of that is not exciting to you? What part of this is confusing to you? God wants to shine in a divine heavenly glory through you and through your family, through your friends, right here in this place. And he's waiting for you to agree with him. In thought and in action. God did this first to the Jews. But he's also done it with the Gentiles. And together we will see a full circle of this coming all the way around from starting with a nation called Israel, but then showing in the Gentiles and then coming right back home to the center place called Israel. 
Our first main passage today we're going to walk through together is Acts chapter 10. Turn there with us. Today is what some of us would call a circular message. We're going to start in Acts chapter 10 and kind of 11. And then we're going to come back to Acts chapter 10 and 11 by the time we're done with a whole new understanding of everything that that means. Say glory when you're there. Come on, y'all, y'all gonna sound some, you're going to sound like some real charismatics in here. Say glory. <laughs> Pastor Devin isn't here. I got I to gotta be the excitement for us. Oh, I, I miss Pastor Devin right now. Let me tell you. It's been like 72 hours without him. I, I don't know what to do with myself. I just keep staring at Zadok because I see Devin and I'm... Devin's much nicer though. Zadok hits me. Sanctify him. Acts chapter 10. Are you at verse 1? We got a lot to share with you so we got to move quickly. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. <laughs> you should ask for the, these things more. Yeah. Don't, don't expect that this was just your Bible. You need to ask for visitations in your home. You want this stuff, I promise. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Whew. A Roman military leader's prayers are arising to the heavenly places before the God of Israel, the very people that they have in a sort of bondage. That's interesting, huh? <laughs> says, and now send men to Joppa and bring one called Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with a, another Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Right here we have a Roman military leader, a man of authority, a man of power among his people in an entirely Gentile city. I mean, th this, this place, I'm sure there were Jews abiding somewhere in this place, but this place was literally constructed under the authority of Rome. It's, it's why it existed was to house its elite and its elect and its, its wealth and its trade there. But he's sending his servants to an ancient Hebrew trading port that's been there for a long, long time. To go get a man named Peter who is staying by the sea. Now, continuing in verse 9, it says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
And the voice came to him again a second time. Listen to this. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was lifted up at once to heaven. Why is this important, church? We are seeing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit among the people of Israel. We've heard stories in weeks past of, of men and women alike who were not of Jewish descent receiving blessings from King Yeshua himself. And here God is telling a Jewish apostle, do not call these things unclean that I have called clean. Interesting. Look at verse 23. At this point, we're continuing into the story to where Peter has arrived at Cornelius' home. It says, and he, so he invite. I'm sorry, um, Peter invites these men into his home when they come to find him, the men who uh, Cornelius sent. So he invited them to be his guest. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered into Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and has called, he had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped Peter. Interesting. Have you ever thought about whenever the glory of God is so tangible on you that those who don't understand it tend to want to do something like worship you? Have you ever seen that before? I've seen it. I've seen it in many powerful moves of God around the world. Men and women filled with his Holy Spirit, empowered to do miraculous works and to preach great messages and to inspire people end up worshipped instead of God. But what does Peter do here? He says, stand up. I too am a man. And he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Interesting. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You know why God said that to Peter? Because that was God's perspective. God himself, from his throne, from his authority, said, these men are not just dogs. These people are not just common. I will bring them in, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. So when... So when I sent for, I came without, when I was sent for, I came without objection, Peter says. I ask then why you sent for me. Well, we fast forward to verse 44. Look down in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, he's preaching to these people in Cornelius' home. He doesn't make it but only a few sentences in. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. An apostle of Christ himself 
one of Jesus' personal close disciples, says, they just got the same thing to the same measure and the same magnitude with the same gifts the same way that I did. That kind of kills some theology that says they got something different, huh? He's looking at a room full of a family of a Gentile Roman soldier's household and they just had the Holy Spirit poured out on them in their home in a way that he saw at Pentecost when he preached among the people that had come in for the festival. Is this amazing or what? God just fundamentally, according to man's ideas at least, changed the rules. But it was God's intention the whole time. And it's God's intention for you and for your family. It's God's intention for you to be like Cornelius, standing in a home, having his Holy Spirit pour out on your family in a way that the original apostle himself, the one of the closest to Yeshua, says, you just got the same thing I got. You know how much the church grew in the first hundred years? More than it has in the last thousand, I'll tell you that. What if, we got, what if we understood we had the same thing Peter had? What if you understood you got the same thing that Paul had? What if you understood you got the same thing that John the Beloved had? We would see our church moving in a little different way if we believed that, huh? <laughs> Brother Darren, what's the next thing we're going to talk about? I'm going to talk all day. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love listening to you talk, brother. So you can just go all day. So just as Cornelius had to look back to the ancient ways of God, he didn't find the answers in his modern Roman city, yeah. the Caesarea. He had to send someone <laughs> back to Joppa. Joppa's the port where Jonah left from, right? Been, been there for hundreds or thousands of years. Just like he had to look back to the ancient ways of God, we're going to look back to the Tanakh, to find more about how we can be glorified for his glory. So turn in your Bibles to Leviticus. Come on. Chapter 10. Say Leviticus. I promise you will never, you have never heard Leviticus preached as excitedly as you will today. Yeah. Yeah. There's something exciting about Leviticus today, church. I'm telling you, there's always been something exciting. The man yes. preaching it to you just wasn't preaching it well. I love his Torah. All right. Leviticus chapter 10, we read a story that's, that's really troubling to many. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, oh, no. which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Wow, so then did God put a ban on fire after that? Did God say no more sacrifices? No, 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 no more of that. Two guys did it wrongly, so we got to put a ban on the whole thing. No, he didn't. Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, censors of fire, right? Nothing wrong with the censors. Nothing wrong with fire. 
with incense, but something, a lot of people debate what was wrong with this, and I'm not going to discuss, I'm not going to speculate on that, right? (laughs) Not the point. I don't know what was unauthorized about it, but something wasn't right in their heart. Whatever they were doing, they were not doing it, they were doing it for their glory, not for his glory. Yeah, that's right. Right? So it's not about what we're doing, it's about why we are doing it, and we need to be doing it God's way. That's right. So, should this cause us to fear God? Either way you answer that, yes. Okay? Yes, Is this a trick question? <laughs> so, we should fear God as in the beginning of wisdom, which means awe, reverence, wonder. Yeah. Right? But we should not fear drawing near to God or serving Him. That's right. Out of fear of punishment. That's right. God loves us. He is a heavenly father. That's right. He desires for us to be glorified when we do it for his glory. Amen? That's right. So what was the takeaway from this? If we continue reading in verse 3, Leviticus 3, it tells us the lesson. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Wow. And before all the people, say all the people. All the people. Before all the people, I will be glorified. (laughs) Yes. So we are called to draw near to God. We are his children. As we draw near to God, we should draw near to him in the same way that we draw near to our spouse or we draw near to a loving earthly father. Both of these are pictures of our relationship with our heavenly father. But when we draw near to him, we should always do it in a, in a position of awe and reverence of his power and his authority. There's two aspects of this drawing near to God that we need to keep in mind. One is the magnification of God, that's our positional relationship with God. We are elevating him. We are voluntarily putting him in a place of authority higher than ourselves. Yeah. Just as a godly wife elevates her husband to a position of authority over her. That's right. We need to acknowledge the vastness of God, the power of God, his glory. It is beyond human comprehension. That's right. He is worthy, worthy 
of worship That's right. and praise. Yes. Now, the other aspect of our relationship with God is one of adoration. Yeah. A loving relationship, yeah. like a husband and a wife, or a husband uh, or a, a, a heavenly father and his children. Yeah. So just when the wife acknowledges her husband and elevates him to a position of authority, the wife loves, I mean, the husband loves the wife yeah. and draws her near to him wow. and does everything for her, yeah. gives up everything for her. That's how our relationship should be. <laughs> The hunters are back there smiling a little too big. <laughs> Come on. So he says, I will be sanctified. We, he requires us to set him apart, to sanctify him yeah. through our thoughts, our actions, and our words. When the wife sanctifies her husband, she sets him apart different she treats him differently than any other man in the world That's right, right? Yeah. Yeah. come she on wife she treats him better than every other man <laughs> in the world <laughs> yeah <laughs> she does this in the way that the way she speaks about him yeah to others how she feels about him yeah how she interacts with him daily how she voluntarily gives him that position of authority. That's right. Out of love and respect and, and, and reverence. And the husband also sanctifies his wife. He sets her apart as special. She becomes his priority. He loves her and gives himself up for her. He serves her with his whole heart, mind, and body. That's the picture of our relationship with God. Yes. So our spouse, hus uh, our spouse, for those of you married, husbands and wives, they should be the priority. Your spouse should be priority over your kids. Yeah. Our world does not get this right sometimes. Sometimes when the kids come into the relationship, Guess where all the attention goes? <laughs> right? That is not God's way. That's right. When you are making your spouse a priority over your kids, now your kids are going to see the proper relationship Amen. in the marriage. That's right. Now, yeah. just as we are to make our spouse a priority, our God should be a priority over our spouse. So God is ultimately our priority. That is how we set him apart. That is how we sanctify him. That is how we glorify him. Amen. He is our priority over our family, over our career, over our wealth, over our hobbies, yeah. over our desires, everything we do, over our sleep. <laughs> uh, God is our priority <laughs> yeah. 
if you are drawing near to him, he should be the top priority in your life and everyone around you should know it. Why? In order to glorify our God among all people. We sanctify and give glory to God above everyone we know and meet. And in turn, he, through Yeshua, and the Spirit, gives us his glory. God treats us like a loving father and husband. He loves us. He cares for us. He does everything we need. That's right. We just have to turn to him. Amen. So what does it mean to give glory to someone? Either another person, your spouse, your parents, right? That word means, as we talked about, to give honor to them, to respect them, to praise them, to exalt them, acknowledge the majesty, to give them a positive reputation. Don't speak ill yeah, about right. them. Build them up. That's right. Give them much. We talked about glory, that representation of glory can mean a magnitude or a multitude right. of things. So give them all much time, money, blessings, resources. In summary, we are to draw near to God in awe and reverence of who he is. We are to sanctify God by making him the priority in our life above all. And through that, we will glorify God to all people through honor, praise, and all of our being. That's right. Amen? Amen. So why should we do that, Pastor Kaysen? Why do we want to do that? Hey, so we started with what is it? What is it to be a people glorified for the purpose of God's glory? We read Acts chapter 10 and part of 11 for you. And you got to see what it looked like for a Gentile community of people to receive the same Holy Spirit to the same measure as what was poured out among the Jews. That's what we are looking for. Mr. Darren just shared with you what it doesn't look like. What it doesn't look like to receive the glory, to carry even in censors the fire from his altar with you, but then to do it wrongly for your own glory. Now, I want to give a disclaimer to the other pastors in the room. Um, Mr. Darren here is making me do this, so it wasn't my idea. But we're going to go to, we're, we're going to, go to John chapter 17 next. <laughs> I, I testify, I testify this was my idea, just for the record. It's on record. They tease me that I do it too much. No, I'm just kidding. John chapter 17, look at verse 20 when you get there. Now that we talked about what is it, like what does it look like for God to pour out his glory on a people so that all nations see, all people see, we took a look at what it does not look like whenever men misuse the glory of our God. Now we're going to show you just why, in the words of Yeshua, talking to Yahweh himself, why is it that Yeshua wants this for you? Not suggests it, not thinks it's theologically sound, 
I mean, is declaring to his father in heaven that this must happen for you. Are you with me? Verse 20, say glory. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Wow. But it stopped at the first apostle. No. That means you. Verse 20 means you. Some wrongly seek to deify the first apostles so as to teach they had something that none of us have. What did Yeshua say? It's better that... I go. We might not have got to walk with him in the flesh and how I desire I could have been one of them. But we received the Holy Spirit as the men in Cornelius' house, as the disciples did, as the visitors at, and at Pentecost, everyone. Some wrongly seek to deify these first apostles, but clearly our passages in Acts 10 and 11 and what Jesus is speaking here corrects that poor understanding. Why should we carry his glory? Ask yourself, why should I carry his glory? I'm not talking about you being able to argue with someone on theology in the streets. Say, Jesus is real. Wow. Demons know more than that person. You're having the wrong conversation with them. Demons understand that Jesus is real, and, G and demons even do one of the two things that Darren was sharing with you. They don't adore him or glorify him, but they understand his station. Can you understand how glory and understanding your positional station with God are two different things? Can you tell that most of the modern church today is stuck just in understanding his theological position but has no glory in the mix at all? You see people everywhere say, well, Jesus is king. Jesus is the savior. Jesus saved my soul from death, from, from hell and the grave. But then they deny his glory and they deny his power. Do you see how this is a concerning subject? And how we have to have his glory along with us humbly understanding our station infinitely below his authority on our lives. It says, well, it says in verse 21, this is why we desire such a thing, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you understand what he's saying according to Darren's definitions of, of sanctification or to sanctify? He said, in number, he said in Leviticus 10, I will be sanctified. I will be set apart. What does a wife do? A wife says, I love you and you sit in a seat of authority over my life. Ephesians 5 says that Christ is the head of the church and the, and the husband is the head of his wife. She says, you are the head of my life and I will follow you where you go. But what does the husband do? He's like, come here with me. Give me your hand. She sets him apart and he draws her, and she sets him apart and he draws her. And when you continue this relationship, they always end up in the same place. Imagine that a God like ours, in his infinite glory, in his infinite perfection, is drawing you into the measure of glory that he lives in seated with him on his throne 
This is an absurd idea when you understand sanctification. We set apart our perfect God who doesn't need to be set apart by us. He set apart himself. But he desires that the ones whom he loves sets him apart. A man can understand that he's valuable when he gets up and he goes to work and he earns a paycheck and he takes care of his home and he's leading his family. But do you not also love to hear your wife say, I'll follow you wherever you go? Does it not also move your heart whenever your wife says to you, I know I told you I love you yesterday, but I want to do it twice as much today. I watch Brittany do this to Morgan over here all the time. It's a little exhausting sometimes for me. But hey, this is the, this is the example. That if y'all want an example, to, I mean. <laughs> he says, we want to be one. This is why. But he goes even further than that. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Let that mess up your theology. You mean God gives me his glory? Wow. Crazy concept. John 17, look for it yourself. Verse 22, go home and read that. That they may be one even as we are one. If oneness with him is his desire, then to what end? I desire for my wife to set me apart. I desire for my wife to also participate in affection with me. But to what end? Why? To what purpose? It's not only just for that one moment. We do live in the moment, but we also live for a generation. And we also produce more generations in the name of Jesus. Come on. I'm still, I'm still excited about that. He says, the glory you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, everybody's sanctifying each other. You sanctify the Lord, the Lord sanctifies you. The Father sanctifies you, Yeshua sanctifies you, you sanctify them. And you just get into this mix together with your God where you're moving with them. Him, he, all, all of it in one. <laughs> He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because why? Because why? Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Second Chronicles 15, 1 through 2 says, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you and when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Lamentations 3 verse 55 says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear for my cry of help. You came near me when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Church, this is why. He wants the whole world to see his glory on you, his glory 
in you so that he so that the whole world will know that you are his people we cannot we cannot excuse any longer the theology that christians don't need his glory men have been killing the faith effectively neutering it whenever they say we only need the word we don't need glory his glory is found in his word. And Jesus himself looked at the teachers of the law and said, you look at those pages day and night and it doesn't do anything for you. I'm standing right in front of you in glory. You need to look up. We have to walk in the presence of our God. We need to know his word, word for word for word. We need to be able to teach it with accuracy and with wisdom from heaven. But we cannot excuse any longer being a people that don't carry his glory because there's a whole world waiting to see it. You hear me, Nick? There's a whole world waiting to see it. You can't hold back. <laughs> so next we're going to tell you as we're working towards kind of a close. We're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Move there with us. And we're going to show you how to glorify him. You know how to sanctify him. You know how to put him above yourself. You know how to say, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. I will do whatever you say. But if there's going to be an exchange of glory, you glorify him and he glorifies you, then you're going to have to understand how to glorify him properly. Because this, that Mr. Darren's going to share with you, is something very important you want to learn today. You ready? Yes, sir. So how do we glorify him? We are called to sanctify God and glorify him to all people. Our neighbor next door, the people we work with, the people we see at the grocery store, the people we like, the people we don't so much like. What? <laughs> True. Our stubborn family members. Yes. To all people, we should be demonstrating his glory. So that's a hard ask. What exactly are we supposed to do? We have to first sanctify ourselves through our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We have to practice daily how our words and our deeds reflect on God's reputation. If they know that you are a believer in the Almighty God, then how are your actions being seen? How are your words being heard as a reflection of that to others? Are you magnifying his reputation? When others see you, how does that reflect on God? Does that motivate them to want a relationship with him? Or does that turn him off? Does your witness bring him honor and praise or criticism and scorn? Wow. Fortunately, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he gives us some very concrete things that we can look at, that we can act out today to try to make sure that we are glorifying him in what we do and what we say. Amen? So the first point here, 16. Rejoice always. I say it again, rejoice. That's from Philippians 4. Uh, so what does rejoice mean anyway? 
does it always mean sing? That's one thing. It can mean sing. Shout for joy. You shout for joy. Uh, it, it literally means to feel or show. So rejoice means to feel or show great joy or delight. I mean, I, you don't picture it this way, but imagine Stephen the martyr as he's being stoned on his knees looking up to heaven with delight as he sees the heavens open. He's delighting in his God as he's seeing his last breath on earth. Rejoice always. Paul and Peter in many examples they were in prison, they were sick, they were being stoned, and yet they were feeling or showing great joy or delight in their God. The next verse says, pray without ceasing. We just talked at depth that our relationship with God is just that, a relationship just like your spouse, right? We cannot maintain a relationship without conversation, without communication. That's right. How, do we, how are we supposed to know what they expect from us, right? This is one of the big challenges that um, we see and we, like Sarah and I had to learn in our relationship. I came into our marriage with certain expectations about what she should do and what she shouldn't do, and about what I should do and what I shouldn't do as her husband. And guess what? They didn't always match her expectations. <laughs> you had to communicate. <laughs> Sarah was, said, Darren, talk to me. I'm like, why am I in trouble again? What did I do this time? Well, you should know. <laughs> Anybody else, can, anybody else relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get in trouble all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't have ESP. I don't read mine. <laughs> um, so we learned to communicate. We learned to explain. This is how I feel. This is what I expect. This is what I perceive. This is what I thought. Right? It's the same way we're our relationship with God. That's right. We have to pray continuously. We're in a constant conversation to understand what he wants us to do, who he wants us to call, what scripture he wants us to read, what he wants us to, to do for someone else, how he wants us to be feeling about certain things, yeah. what decisions we should be making in our lives. That's right. All of these things we can only get through God with a conversation. Next, so now we're rejoicing always. We're praying continuously. What's the next thing we're supposed to do? Give, Give thanks, thanks in all circumstances. Can we say that again? How many circumstances? All. In all circumstances. Rich or poor, in sickness and in health. Right? We yeah. are to give thanks That's right. because we have a God in heaven that loves us. And no matter what we go through on this earth, we know where we're going to end up, right? Yeah. 
That's right. And we're promised that he gives us the peace of God that transcends all understanding today, yeah. right now. So we are giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not for our benefit. God desires us to give him thanks. That's one of the ways that we glorify him and we magnify him. Saying, thank you, Dad. Next, and this is what Pastor Kaysen is passionate about. Do not quench the spirit. <laughs> and I got, I got to admit, this one's a new one to me. I, I grew up, uh, I'm going off script. Are you ready? So Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going off script. Uh, I'm, used to, uh, I, I'm used to preaching with like 20 pages of notes and a teleprompter. And, and Pastor, David, Pastor Michael, where did I get David from? <laughs> He's our king. <laughs> Pastor Michael, uh, last week, <laughs> he, he challenged me. He's like, hey, Darren, I, I want you to just work on this. Just, you can practice. It's okay. But don't have all your notes and just see how it goes. I want to see what comes out. So we're going to see what comes out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he says do not quench the spirit right I grew up in environments I was studying the word I was praying I was doing good deeds I yep. was doing good works yep. I was teaching I was evangelizing I was sharing the gospel yep. but I did not really understand how to experience the power of the spirit yeah. Right? Me too. I didn't understand. I didn't have that experience. I didn't have that, un that relationship with God where I could know that I know that I was hearing his voice. Not audibly. He Can you guys relate with this? Yes. Right? Yeah. And so it is a learning process. And when we do those first three things, when we rejoice always and we pray continuously and we're giving thanks. Yeah then he is going to pour out his spirit. Wow. And then we can learn and we can practice and we can grow. We, as we pray, we practice hearing, is yes. that God or is that me? Yeah. Or is that my flesh? Right? And yeah. it's, sometimes it's difficult to discern. It yeah. takes practice. It does. But he calls us to not quench the spirit we must practice we must step out yeah that's right now to do that we have to first acknowledge that the spirit still operates among us today yeah and honestly that's one of the reasons that god drew my wife and i to this this body yeah right i was seeking to know more about how the spirit operated i saw what you saw i saw the glory <laughs> that God was pouring out on this body. Yeah. And I said, let me go join that. <laughs> Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I'm so thankful Darren and Sarah are here. <laughs> are your lives, ladies, are your lives better because Miss Sarah's here? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. 
So next, verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Uh-oh. So for many years, I was taught, you know, prophecy? Yeah, that's what you read in the scripture. That's Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation. That's prophecy. That's it. That's true. And that is true. That's true. And we should not despise those prophecies like many do today. I know many, many believers in church that they don't feel it necessary to try to understand the times and the seasons we're in. They don't necessarily acknowledge or see the significance of what we see going on in the land of Israel today. Yeah. To me, I feel like that's important. God put that there for a reason. And if I'm reading his word and praying and understanding, he desires for us to be watchful. And so if we're ignoring that, if we're discounting that, I don't understand the book of Revelations. I don't read that stuff. That's despising the prophecies. He desires for that to glorify us so that we can glorify him when we see it come true. Now, the other aspect of prophecy is, is the rhema word. So, you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, that's logos word. That's the written word of God. That's right. Right? For all in all time. But then we have the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God, where we hear God speak to us, through us, either for our own edification or for the edification of others. That's right. And we should not quench that spirit either. If we feel led to share a scripture or a word of encouragement or a word of discipline with a brother or sister, we need to acknowledge that. We need to pay attention to that. That's right. We don't want to despise those prophecies either. That's right. And next, 21, he tells us, but in all of these things, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. In pursuit of prophecies and, you know, the spirit, we can get off track. It's easy to get off track. There's a lot of wacky prophecies going on in YouTube these days. <laughs> so when we're saying do not despise the prophecies, I don't mean go subscribe to the YouTube prophecy channel. <laughs> not saying that. Don't do that. So how do we test everything? We test everything through continuous learning right. and community with believers that we trust, that we know are hearing from God, that are doing all of these things that we're taught to do. So that we can test, is that from God or is that something else? And last but not least, 22, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil so evil is what God defines as sin he gives us I don't know how many pages are in the Bible thousands of pages in the Bible much of which describes things that we should not do lie cheat steal dishonor God dishonor parents sexual immorality gossip slander we need to look to his word. We cannot look to what the world calls evil. We have to look to his word, his truth. And why do we do all these things? In verse 23, now may the God of peace 
himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Come on. Amen. You guys can agree that our God is faithful, right? That even whenever we get distracted by things like leaking air conditioners, he's focused. Be be like God today and be focused. (laughs) Guys, our God has desired from the beginning of his creation that his creation, mankind, would carry his image and would display his glory that comes from his throne here on this earth. Among God's enemies, among God's friends, in all places, he desires for his people, that being you and your family, to carry and to display his glory. I want to remind you, since we are coming back to the beginning today, are you with me? We are coming back to where we started today. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now church, in chapter 11, Peter has now gone back and he's meeting with his, bro- with his Jewish brothers. And he's discussing the things that they experienced when they were there in Caesarea with Cornelius and his household. In verse 12 of chapter 11, it says, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction between Jew and Gentile. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in the way of God? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Y'all stand up with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, And I, when I came to you, Paul says to Corinth, Brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. 
For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration, demonstration, demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in men's wisdom and words, but in the power of God. Exodus 33. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know, Moses says to his God, whom you will send with me. This is a man concerned that maybe God's telling him to do something and that he won't have the Lord actually with him. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your, now your ways that I may know in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. You hear a man that makes intercession for those who are being disobedient while he is being obedient in the favor of God? This is why these things happen. And he said, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct and your people from, that we are made distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses says, show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Church, I'm telling you, you have to stop living a life where you stop saying to Adonai, show me your glory. You will not be distinct from the rest of this world if you are not a people who say, show me your glory and don't forget these other people too. I'm telling you, God wants to do something here in Denton through you, but he's waiting for you to ask to show you his glory what if that's the only thing separating you and me today is a willing heart that says I want the whole world to have this thing and God says I'm waiting for you to ask me Jesus we are a people devoted to your work